Good morning. Well, this is a fun role to play of, hey, you're all having fun and connecting, and I get to say, stop enjoying one another and have a seat. That's a fun role. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you do that next week, I think. And Yeah, this is, this is great. Good to see you. It's really good to be together. And if you're, if you're joining us online, uh, welcome. And uh, if you're with a house gathering, whether you're at a park or a campsite or wherever you are, um, Glad to be here. This is, we're learning how to do this again, if you can't tell. Um, it's so much fun to be together here uh, in the room, but to, the, the things that go into um, welcoming people online and uh, what do we call this, live streaming to house gatherings where they're meeting and that kind of thing is, um, is all new. So we're working the kinks out and uh, thank you for helping us do that. Should I move it all to help that ringing stop or is that just gonna be part of the new, how we're doing it? If I move, no. I just always feel like it's me, because you're so good at this stuff, Scott, that it can't possibly be you, so. Okay. Ah, first time for everything, so. What's that? Is it? You know what it is? We, uh, so one of the things that we did is we just really cleaned the air in here, and it's so clean that, that it's affecting our, our, our sound and, and that kind of thing, so. Um. Hey, uh, I'm going to pray for our sound and for our time in Scripture. Why don't we do that? Can we do that? Let's do that. Let's pray together, and then we're going to open up Scripture together. God, to be able to gather together um, in this room is a gift. Um, to be able to have the technology that we can watch wherever we are. Um, to be able to have uh, friends and family that we get to meet together in homes and in parks and backyards and wherever we are, to, to be able to, to, to be your church in, in multiple different ways at the same time, uh, we are just grateful for that. Um, and as we gather as your church in different ways in different places, um, we, we glorify you, we worship you, we acknowledge that you are good and powerful, um, that you are the, the sole source and beginning of love in our existence, that you desire to bring peace into our life and into this world you desire to bring justice. And so for all of that, we worship you. We want to worship you collectively. We want to worship you in our lives, with our hearts, with our minds, with all of who we are. Would we acknowledge that you are good and perfect and loving? And Holy Spirit, would you be moving and working in and among us right now to bring more of, of who you are into our lives, that we would share that with others? And Jesus, as we look to your words that are in your word, would you teach us and guide us this morning? It's in your name that we pray, amen. I want to, um, I, I got a, a piece of uh, artwork uh, that was shared with me at the end of our gathering last Sunday. Um, it was drawn by a, uh, I think she is six years old. Her name is Emma, uh, been a part of uh, our church family for her entire life. Uh, uh, her, her parents have been here for some time and she was born here. Um, as of, I think I just got word that as of Thursday it was that she now is uh, one of four daughters. Um, so number four was born. But Emma uh, was here in our room uh, together here on Sunday, last Sunday, and was drawing. And it was a great reminder, first of all, that we've got kids in here with us, which is, which is so great. One of the new things of how we're learning to do this again is we've got kids uh, in the room with us. And so if you're a kid and you're here, so glad that you're here. Feel free to keep drawing or dancing or doing whatever you, you are doing or whatever you're, you're your parent or parents allow you to do. Um, they're in charge of you, not me. Um, but this was an artwork that Emma drew, and what she drew on one side was a, a figure um, with the, uh, the, the eyes were closed on this figure that she's drawn, and the mouth is a straight line. 
um, and there's kind of some just coloring um, around, and then the ground is very just kind of dark and flat. Um, and then on the other side is uh, the same figure that she's drawn again, um, but this time the, the, the face is not a, a line, it, the, the mouth is not a line, it's, a, it, it's like this, it's a smile. The face is smiling, and in both the first side and the second side, there's a thought bubble, and uh, there's some things in the thought bubble, and on uh, the first side, they're in the thought bubble, and on the second side, they're both in the thought bubble, and then they're on the ground, and so it's not just dark ground, it's like flowers coming up, and there's a bright sun, and uh, Emma delivered this to one of our pastors, I think she gave it to Connor, and she explained that on the first side, uh, it was a person, get this, praying for renewal, and then on the other side, it was after we pray for renewal, what happens? And it's new life. And so if you haven't been with us, we're in this series that we're calling Prayers of Renewal. And to have a six-year-old in here with us, and this is what she drew, is, is pretty amazing. And so um, I'm, I'm sure her, her parents have, have really invested in her, done a great job, but I think it's really just our, our teaching and worship that really has, has inspired, <laughs> inspired this. And so that's... Um, now, actually, it's a, it's a great word um, for the influence that that we have as parents, for those of us that God has called us to parent a young child or multiple children and to disciple them in the way of Jesus. And so yay to her parents that this is what she's able to draw in a short time with us. But it points us to our, our series, doesn't it? Prayers of Renewal, that when we pray, God responds and God does new work. We've been using this, this understanding, this definition of renewal that's, that's, that's this. It's, let me read it with us together. That, that renewal is new life new life experienced in individuals and communities and cultures when aligned or realigned with God's presence resulting in participation in God's kingdom purposes for the world. Now that's a lot of words, get this. Renewal is new life, that when we or a group of people or even a culture gets in line with who God is and what he's doing or has been out of alignment and gets back in line and walks with God and experiences his presence, talks to him and listens to him, meets with him, worships him, something happens in us, new life comes. And not only do we experience God, but then we're called into what he wants for the world. We're a part of that, his kingdom purposes in the world. And so as we end this transition out of what has been for the last year, year and a half, and we look into the future, would we do so with a sense of what God wants, not what we're hoping for alone? That we would get in line with what God wants, that he would bring new life in us, first as individuals, and then our families and our, our church community, and then would that even spread out into, into our city and our world and enemy cultures to think about and to dream about and to be in line with what God wants for us and our world. That's what renewal is. And so we've been looking into the, to the Bible because what God does throughout, throughout his story in scripture over and over and over again is he brings new life, he brings renewal. And there are things that go before that, before renewal happens, and we wanna, we wanna learn what those are. One of the things that we've been looking at the last number of weeks is a prayer of Jesus that really is a prayer of renewal. And maybe you know it as the, um, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, but it's the model prayer that, that Jesus prays to teach his first friends and followers how to pray. And it's this, and it's familiar to many of us, um, but maybe if you're hearing it for the first time, listen carefully. This is Jesus training his first friends and followers how to pray. And he says this in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse nine. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We've looked at those phrase by phrase uh, over the last number of weeks, and uh, last week we looked at um, give us today our daily bread. And this uh, morning we're going to turn to the next uh, sentence, the next verse, and it's this, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who, those who have, that, as we have forgiven our debtors and those that owe us a debt. And forgive us our debt. What Jesus is doing is he's um, teaching his first friends and followers how to pray. And he goes kind of phrase by phrase, and then he gets to, to verse 12, which it wasn't verse 12 in, in his mind at that point. It was just a, a model prayer. And, and hey, follow after me, pray in this way. And he includes this line. And so we're going to talk this morning about what it means to, to confess, to ask for forgiveness. And there's this simple sentence, this simple uh, verse, and forgive us our debts, that we pray to God, God, would you forgive us our debts? It's, it's interesting to me that as Jesus is teaching them to pray, uh, he, he, the, the, the line before is, give us today our daily bread, just starts out with a clear request. Give us today our daily bread. We all have needs, and Adam taught through this, this verse last week, and, and Jesus just comes out and says, this is a request that you should pray. We, should, we all should pray this. God, give us what we need. And then he moves to the next one, and he starts with the, the word and. And. And forgive us our debts. And um, when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to start a sentence with and. And apparently that's changed. Um, I read an article recently of 10 things that have changed in, in language and grammar that, that we should just all know. Um, and so I don't know if you know that, if, you, if just, that's how you grew up in school and were trained that you could start a sentence with and, but um, as I was growing up and learning this, I always wanted to correct Jesus for his grammar on this one, but he was able to start with and, 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 and maybe he just knew, you know, prophetic, and knew that at, at some point that that would become appropriate. And so um, I'm in a conversation now with one of my fifth grade teachers to uh, get some grades adjusted, but, uh, and he starts with, and, and forgive us our debts. And if you can imagine Jesus sitting on a hillside teaching his first friends and followers, this is how you pray, give us today our daily bread. And, and almost like he, he throws this one in, and. See, uh, his disciples, we find in Luke, in chapter 11, his disciples ask him, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, and Jesus gives them this, this prayer. And so it, it, it's not like they didn't know how to pray. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I've had this experience on and off throughout my life, and I'm sure that I will continue to have this experience. But you have friends that, and people you get to know that really know how to dress well. And, and you might get to the point of friendship where you feel safe and, and to be intimate enough to say, hey, I really like how you dress. How do you, how do, you do that? Like, I've had to ask that a, a few times. A, a key help in my journey was getting married, and she started to dress me, and that helped a lot. But we, we, m- many of us look at other people, and we're like, wow, I really like how they look. I don't know how they... Can you teach me how to dress? That's a little bit of what the disciples were doing. They, they knew how to dress, and we all know how to dress. But yet we look at people, and we say, if I could dress like them. The disciples knew how to pray. These were Jewish men in their 20s and early 30s. They had been praying their whole life. They prayed probably more than most of us in this room or four people that we could touch right now. Like they've prayed, the culture they've grown up in, the prayer has been part of their morning, noon, and night. They've been to school hours beyond what the normal person gone to school in our lifetime. They've gone to school, they've learned how to pray. Praying was a part of their life. And then they encountered Jesus. And they experienced Jesus and I said, Jesus, how do you dress? How do you do that? Can you teach me how to, I mean, I know I'm dressed, but will you help me do this better? When you pray, it's different. It's different than how we're praying. Something, is, something else is going on. It's like you're 
you're friends with God. It's like you hear his voice. It's like you experience him. So will you teach us how you're doing it? Teach us to pray. And as Jesus is teaching them to pray, he says, one of the things you gotta give us today our daily bread. And it's like he remembers. There's this part of prayer that you've never seen me pray. Jesus is saying, there's this part of prayer that I've never prayed. And forgive us our debts. You need to do that. You need to have that a part of your prayer life. I need to have that a part of my prayer life. I need to have that as a part of an ongoing process of communion and communication with God is that I'm asking for him to forgive my debts. Jesus never had to do that. Jesus was perfect and Jesus never sinned. And yet he's training them to pray. And he says, and don't forget this, forgive us our debts, comma, as we have forgiven our debtors. It's so kind and it's so gracious of Jesus to put it in parallel like that. Do you hear the two parallel experiences in a simple verse and forgive us our debts? God, would you forgive us, comma, as we have forgiven our debtors? All of us have had to forgive somebody in our life before. If you haven't, please contact me or find me afterwards, we need to talk. All of us have gone through a process of having to forgive somebody. It happened as a child growing up. It happens in relationship. Whenever we get to a point in our relationship where we've harmed or hurt one another and somebody's come to us and we've had to say, I forgive you. I was wrong, I did this. Thank you, it was painful, but I forgive you. We've had that experience. Or we've come and our toes have touched right up to it and it, we're just not ready, but we want to. What Jesus is doing in parallel to his experiences is saying, a regular part of your relationship with God is to ask for forgiveness. But you've already done this. You know what it's like. For many of us, if you've come to Jesus and you've believed in Jesus, that was a part of your stepping into relationship with the God of the universe, of accepting Jesus' forgiveness, is coming to the first time and saying, I'm a sinner, I'm broken. The, the language Jesus uses is so helpful because it's actually, um, it's accounting language, it's commercial language. Forgive us our debts. That shows up on a ledger. That shows up on an account sheet that there's, a, there's an amount, there's a number with decimals and, and, and actual digits. There's, you owe this. That's what Jesus was referring to. And what he's, what he's calling us to is something that is in the human experience that we know that we've, we've wronged somebody at some point. We've let somebody down. We've, we've harmed someone. We've, we've lied. We've stolen We've known that there was good that we should do and we stepped right away from it because we didn't want to do it. There's, there's some way that we've fallen short of this holy and perfect God that he's, that he's modeling for us the life that we can't possibly live on our own power. And so we understand as human beings that there's, there's something that's off that's not just kind of right. We can talk about all the good that God has created in human beings and at the same time mixed in there that there's something that's wrong and broken. And so we owe to this perfect holy God who's created us a debt, and we can quantify it, we can talk about it, we can see it in the mirror, we know that it's there. And so he says, come and ask for forgiveness on a regular basis. And in case that is scary to you, think about the parallel experience that you've already had when you've forgiven someone. When you've forgiven a close friend, when you've forgiven a spouse, when you've forgiven a child who's done something wrong and then come to you and ask for forgiveness and you've extended it. We all know the shame and the guilt that floods in when we've done something wrong to another person. 
And so when somebody else comes to us and they ask, will you forgive me? We, we have this mix of emotion, don't we? You've wronged me and it's cost me something. I can look on the accounting sheet and see what it's cost me. And yet I've been in that very same place and I know what it's like to, to be forgiven. And so I, I don't want you to carry that shame. I don't want you to carry that guilt. I want, I want to forgive you. I was talking with a friend this week and they said, um, what are you teaching about Sunday? And I said, uh, confession and forgiveness. It's a great just summer talk, just so much fun. Don't miss it. Confession and forgiveness and talking about sin. It's exhilarating. It's exciting. And they said, you know what? When we talk about confession and, and sin and forgiveness so much, we talk about us being in the wrong. Are you gonna talk about the other side of it? Are you gonna talk about when somebody has wronged us and we're in the place of forgiving another person? And I said, oh, you know what? I, I have to because it's in the text. It's right there. It's after the comma. And forgive us our debts, comma, as we forgive those who are indebted to us, as we've forgiven debtors against us. We know what that's like. And when we forgive another person, we, we know what it's like to say, I, I forgive you. I'm so glad that you're coming and asking. Yes, this was costly. I wish this hadn't happened. I wish we hadn't gone through this awkward conflict and, and hurt and pain. But, but because you're coming to me and asking for forgiveness and acknowledging what you're doing, I get to extend grace to you. And, and it's like I'm walking closer to you and we get to restore and bond and come together. One of the phrases that my wife and I have learned through counseling over the years is rupture and repair. Rupture and repair. Um, I'm sure many of your marriages have never had, to, never had a rupture, so you haven't needed to repair, but at least in mine, there's been plenty of rupture and we've had to learn how to repair. And the joy of coming back together and ex reestablishing intimacy in a relationship and forgiving one another and repairing that. We all have had that opportunity. And if you haven't, you will soon. It's so kind and gracious that Jesus gives us what's after the comma because he's tapping into what we've already experienced. We know what it's like to restore a relationship with someone. And so the first half of that sentence that we talk to our creator, God, and we say, God, forgive us our debts. We can switch positions with him and we can know what he's feeling. We can know that he actually wants to restore with us what has been broken, that he's leaning in and towards us, that he's there close to us, listening, ready for us to say, I was wrong. Forgive me, please. We can have confidence that there's a God who loves us and is eagerly awaiting to restore. If one hurdle that we have to come over is the posture we think God has for us, another hurdle that we have to overcome is, is our own struggle with repentance. Jesus' first words of his first sermon, his first teaching was the word repent. Repent. Change your mind, change the direction of your heart and mind and life and change from going away from me and turn and come towards me. Give up the way that you're thinking and we as human beings are just wired to deny what is wrong and broken around us. As we talk about us being broken, we wanna constantly rewrite that and create a new narrative that says, no, I'm not broken, I'm okay, I'm good. The way that I've chosen, it's okay. I know I've heard other narratives and other stories and other belief systems and other philosophy and other ways of thinking about the life that I'm called to live and created to live in the world and how it functions, but I'm gonna rewrite that and contour it just so it fits right where I am right now so I don't have to repent one bit. 
I'm gonna recraft and recraft and rewrite and create a new narrative so where I am and what I'm doing and what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking is all okay so that I'm okay. And that is fine and plenty of people choose that path and it is absolutely opposite of what Jesus invites us into. And he invites us in to ask for forgiveness because we're wrong and to repent and to stop denying that we've fallen short of a holy God and invites us into this wonderful restoration of relationship between us and God. And so instead of denying that, that we've done wrong and that we've sinned and that we've fallen short, it's an invitation to say, gosh, I am so glad that I have a loving God who is ready and willing to forgive me and invite me back into relationship. Frederick Buechner says, says it this way. To confess our sins to God is not to tell God anything God doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the Golden Gate Bridge. Golden Gate Bridge sounds a little clunky. Why did he pick that? I have no idea. Maybe just fill in the... the Steel Bridge or Morrison Bridge or Hawthorne Bridge or Tillicum Bridge or the bridge we'll build next year or the 205 overpass, pick one. It's, a, it's an abyss that we can't cross on our own and so we've got to find a way across it. And when we confess, all of a sudden we see that there's a bridge between us and God and we can cross and we can be connected. We can rupture and we can repair. That there's a reuniting, that there's a forgiveness of what is wrong and a bridge created so that we're connected to God. The word confess as it shows up in the New Testament is this, this Greek word, the, the New Testament was written originally in Greek and it's this word homo legeo. Homo being same, legeo, the word that comes from the word logos or word. Same word, to confess, same word. The word confess in the New Testament means same word. To say the same word, to say it another way, is to agree with what God has already said. And when we come to God and we say, and forgive me my debts, God, and forgive me my debts, what we're saying is, God, I agree with what you've said about me and my life already. I'm agreeing that I've stepped outside of your design and desire for my life. I agree that I have sinned against you. The beautiful thing about the word confess, we hear it often in just what we've done wrong, and it certainly and absolutely does include that. But when it says same word or to agree, it means not only to talk about our sin, but it also means to talk about the very character of God, of who God has identified himself as to us and revealed himself to us, that we can say the same thing about God as saying, so that we can say to God, you are perfect, you are holy. What it means is worship. Confession involves the whole part of the human experience, that where we have sinned and fallen short, but it also covers who we know God to be. The very same word that invites us to acknowledge the worst parts of who we are and what we've done is the same part that also invites us into the presence of a God who is good and holy. When we confess, we say, God, I am broken and you are good. I am sinful and you are holy. And there we say that in the presence of God, knowing that we were standing on a bridge, not that we created, but that he constructed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that we can be in relationship and in presence with God. Confession is something that we should run to, that we should embrace, that we should long for and desire and anticipate and plan into our conversations with God because it knits us more tightly to him. We can see that over and over and through scripture and we're so grateful that we have one guy who messed up his life so royally it helps as a model for us and gives us hope. 
David is, we could, David shows up throughout scripture, all over scripture. And much of his life is to be admired and there's wonderful parts of who we are from his childhood into becoming king. Then we run into a lot of problems with the life of David because David sinned and owed a debt to God. And he walked through that process of denial of saying, nope, I'm good right where I am. I am king and I'm gonna rewrite the narrative, the reality around me to fit my circumstance. And David had this gift from God. It's called a prophet. A prophet and his friend of Nathan. And if you don't have a friend who's a prophet, I'd encourage you to limit your time with them, but we all need a prophet in our life that just speaks truth to us, that says, this is who you are. Nathan shows up in, in King David's life and he says, hey, hey, hey David, I've got, a, I've got a story for you. He says, great, I need a story right now. And he tells him a story and in the story there's a villain. And like we do when we see stories of villain, we're against the villain. And David was against the villain in Nathan's story that he's telling him. And Nathan artfully finishes the story and then says to David, hey, what do you think of the villain? I hate him. Show him to me and I'll take care of him. I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. And Nathan says to David, you're the villain. You did exactly, you have done exactly what the villain did in the story. See, David had become king and somewhere along the line, he started compromising somewhere. We're not sure exactly where, but he began compromising like all of us do. And then that led to another compromise and it just kind of grew like wildfire, like weeds in his life. And then he made this decision. It's time for war and the army's going out for war and kings lead armies into war and they make battle plans and they give orders, but I'm gonna stay home this season in the comfort of my castle, of my palace, and I'm gonna send the army out, and he stepped out of line with what kings do. And on the roof of his palace, he looked over and he saw a woman, he had to look pretty hard because I don't think there was a lot of just like, hey, women bathing on rooftops, so I think he had some kind of binoculars and were looking really clearly, and found a woman he found attractive, and then he sent for her. And we're told in scripture that he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Adultery is a sin if you're not familiar with that. But yet, as we know now in the culture then and what it's like, while it says adultery, it's, it's really closer to rape. She wouldn't have a, had a choice to deny him. And so while that stings our ears a little bit, it probably should because of what he did was so wrong and so evil, so outside of what God called him to do. And because he had this gift from God in the person of Nathan, he actually had an opportunity to, to repent and to confess and to agree with God that what he had done was wrong. And he does. And he confesses, and we find in Psalm 51, him pouring out his heart. He's actually written it as a, as a song, as a poem to be sung and repeated. And so we need to repeat it, and we need to be familiar with the words because they're true of our own lives. He says this in verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Isn't that so good? Have mercy on me, God. I know I'm due a penalty, but don't give it to me. I know your character, I know you're good. Have mercy on me, God. Grace is when we receive something that we don't deserve. We receive grace from Jesus. We have this gift of salvation and forgiveness that's offered to us. We don't deserve it, we can't earn it. Mercy is when we're not given something that we do deserve, a penalty, a punishment that we do deserve, but we're not giving that. That's mercy and we long for that and we need that. Have mercy on me, O oh God, according to who you are, your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, now oh, that's such good news, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me 
from my sin. I'm going to agree with you I have sin in my life. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And he goes on and on. He dives into even deeper detail. But then he gets to this place. He gets to this place later on in verse 10 where he begins to paint an entirely different picture of what happens when we confess. There's this, there's this thing that, pa- that stops us from, from saying what David has said. I have sinned, I have transgressions, I have iniquity. And it's, it's that we think God's grace is gonna run out for our lives. And regardless of what you have done or what you have thought or what you have spoken or what you have stolen or what you have left undone that you should do, whatever it is that has been sin in your life, David's story is a gift to us to say, here is a man who got elevated to the place of being a king and walked with him and affirmed him and gave the power and wealth and influence and privilege of every kind imaginable and yet he denied God and sinned and walked away. That we can bring whatever it is in our life and we can say to God, and forgive me my debts, and forgive me my debts, God. Today, Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, forgive me my debts. Peter Gregg has this great, just simple reminder in his book, How to Pray. It's a great, simple book. But he says this, the more, there is more grace in God than there is sin in you. There is more grace in God than there is sin in you. Whatever you have done, whoever you have been with, whatever you have spoken, whatever you have thought, whatever it is is in us that we think is so defining of who we are. There is more grace in God than there is sin in us and it overcomes that sin when we pray what what David prayed to God. Have mercy on me. My sin is ever before me. And that takes us to what he says in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If that's not a definition for renewal, I don't know what is. Create in me a pure heart. Redo me again this morning. Restart me. Cleanse me again. The definition of renewal that we've used, it says new life comes into us. Create in me a clean heart. The second part of it is that that happens when we spend time with God, talking to God and listening to God. Presence, don't cast me from your presence. The third part of renewal that we've been talking about is that we would participate with God in his kingdom purposes in the world. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Would I willingly find joy and go where you're going and be a part of what you're doing? Many of us know the name Desmond Tutu because of the role that he played in South Africa. That Nelson Mandela asked him to to take a role of influence and leadership because he was a spiritual leader at that time. And when there was the heat of apartheid and the, the crux of the, the battle on how to move through that and be freed from that, but not just freed from it, but to begin restoration, Desmond Tutu started the, what would become the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that gave a, an opportunity for those who had perpetrated violence and abuse to come forward and to confess, to agree that that was wrong. And then for those that had been harmed to offer forgiveness and names of people and family members that had been killed and beaten and property had been taken and abuse that had happened was aired publicly and explicitly in these courts, these commissions. And those that had done wrong were able to find healing and forgiveness. 
because those had been wronged were able to offer forgiveness and they themselves to find a measure of healing. And rather than exacting all of the accounts and the decimals and the, what was owed on the ledger sheet that couldn't possibly be exchanged, it was too deep and too pervasive. The Nelson, Desmond Tutu found a way forward through forgiveness because he had read Jesus' words and forgive us our debts as we had forgive those who are debtors against us. Because he had read those words of Jesus and walked with God. So this is a possible way forward to hear heal our society to some measure because we've experienced the healing of Jesus personally. And Desmond Tutu said this. He said, without forgiveness, there really is no future. Without forgiveness, without us experience forgiveness of God and then learning how to extend it to others, without forgiveness, there's no future. There is no renewal. The Lord's Prayer is necessary in our lives, but for us in this season, I don't know that there's a more critical phrase or verse than and forgive us our debts. It's what reestablishes the bridge between us and God over and over and over again and allows us to experience renewal in the here and now. And so today I think we need to practice it. And here's how we're gonna practice it. We're gonna confess by saying words and singing words that are true of God. We can listen and think and read, but we've gotta step into the practice of it. And so let's confess together what is true of God and then I'm gonna come back up after we sing this song and I'm gonna read and invite you to read with me a well-known confession prayer that allows us to pray in longer sentences and more words and forgive us our debts and to step into that new future and to taste the seeds of renewal that happen when we say to God, I need you, I have wronged you and I need you. Would you heal me so that I can be a healing agent in this world? So let's sing these words of, of mercy that point us again to the character of God. And then we'll pray together a prayer of confession. Trials 
As we sing that song, I'm just reminded of how, how good it is to, to confess. That when we sing, that's a confession of our worship to God. When we open up our hearts and our lives and we're honest with God about where we have failed Him, where we failed those around us, but first and foremost, where we failed Him. And the invitation today and the invitation tomorrow and the day after that is to know that there's a loving God who forgives and forgives and forgives. And as my friend said this week, we need to be reminded that we know a God of second chances and, and of third chances and of fourth chances and 101 chances and 117 chances and 1,000, that God over and over pours out his mercy and his grace towards us. That we that we have a God who's, who's paid the ultimate price and taken care of the judgment. And when we come to him, we're invited back into relationship to restore, connect again, and be in his presence. You might be here, and this is a, a first time for you, <laughs> that the thought of confessing to God is a first, first time, that you've been working really, really hard to be good enough, and, and you're not. And this is great news for you that Jesus paid a price that you couldn't pray. And so I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer with me of confession and to step across that bridge for the first time and to be with God. If you've known Jesus for a couple years or a couple decades, I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer with me because we need it, because it's true of us. It's true of our hearts and it gives words to what we want to say and express to the God of the universe who loves us so much. So this prayer is gonna be up on the screen and. We're gonna read it through together. And then after that, we're gonna enter into a time of communion and we've got these cups and if you don't have one, don't be shy. Walk out to the lobby and, and grab one and come back in. We're just gonna sing a couple songs together. You've got time to take communion. It's so great that Jesus gave us this really tangible, tactile, tasteable practice of confession and receiving forgiveness. We take the juice and the bread, the bread and the juice. And reminds us of the story that brings salvation for all of us. Let's pray this prayer together. Most merciful God, we confess we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Jesus, we come to your table, to this meal that you've given us your body broken, the bread and your blood poured out for us, and the wine, this new covenant, this new relationship with you that we get to be and exist in your presence. And so we approach it with the reverence and holiness that you've invited us into. And as we do, would we taste forgiveness? Would we experience forgiveness? Would we be taught forgiveness? Would we be reminded of forgiveness? And the great invitation that we have to confess both where we have wronged you and how great and how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen.